Hi, and welcome to another episode of our ShoePod Sessions Journey Through a Contract. I'm Charlotte Robinson, an associate in our Birmingham commercial team, and this is... I'm Caroline Chester. I'm a principal associate from the commercial team too. Today, we're going to be discussing indemnities. So Caroline, would you like to start by telling us what an indemnity is? So an indemnity is widely perceived as a draconian provision. It creates a liability to pay every penny of a party's loss when the law would normally require a smaller payment or none, and regardless of the contractual limits on liability. This view is sometimes true, but not as a matter of law. It absolutely depends on the wording of the indemnity, which means drafting them can be a bit more daunting because it all comes down to the words themselves and what we've drafted. An indemnity in its simplest form is a promise to protect the receiving party against loss by paying money on a specified event. It's the contract that not the law that defines the trigger and the payment. The courts discourage arguments based on classifying a clause as an indemnity because they prefer to decide the clause's effect as a matter of interpretation. Thanks, Caroline. And why would you use an indemnity? A common misconception is that an indemnity always gives pound for pound recovery of all losses caused by the trigger event. But this isn't necessarily so. As we've said, it comes down to drafting. It's also widely believed that indemnity gives quicker, easier and fuller recovery than other claims. And if shared by both parties, this belief can be right in practice. But as I've said already, most of the perceived advantages of an indemnity, if they're achievable at all, require the drafting to match up with that view. It depends on the indemnity's wording and interpretation which may not always be acceptable in negotiations. This is why we see indemnities being one of the most hotly negotiated points in our contracts. It might be argued that an indemnity creates a debt, making causation, remoteness, mitigation and proof of loss irrelevant. However, the argument is not reliable and might not be correct. And even if it does create a debt, an indemnity may be drafted or interpreted to involve these concepts in calculating the amount due. Most indemnities also only cover losses caused by a trigger event, which we have to draft carefully. But it is possible to draft an indemnity that cover other losses too. We would want to consider a wide trigger if we want to claim under an indemnity. But if we're a party providing an indemnity, we'd want to draft that trigger as narrowly as possible to reduce the chance of it happening. In terms of mitigation, it is reasonable and usually commercially sensible to take reasonable steps to avoid losses caused by an indemnity, but you can draft an indemnity that requires the party to mitigate their losses to make sure the amount paid under it is as small as possible. In terms of remoteness, the rules of remoteness of damage may apply against breach of duty, but as with the other points, we can draft an indemnity that pays all kinds of loss even those that would not normally be foreseeable when the contract was made. Most indemnities require proof of the amount payable, but with indemnities, it's possible to draft them where payment is required to be paid without proof. And finally, on this point, some lawyers think that a clause limiting liability does not apply to indemnity claims, which is not necessarily so. Some indemnity claims can be uncapped if the contract says that, but equally, if the drafting says that an indemnity is capped, then it will need to be capped. And in what circumstances would you use an indemnity? Well, there's no general rule about when to use an indemnity, which is just as helpful as the drafting point. We can use it depending on the transaction, the type of loss, the risk of that loss happening, 
the receiving party's other remedies or protection against that loss. The paying party's ability and willingness to pay, which often comes up in the negotiations, and the party's relative bargaining strength. Depending who you are in a contract, whether you're a supplier or a purchaser, you'll have a different view about when you should give an indemnity or not. Often, as a purchaser, we'd want to see them in particularly risky areas such as confidentiality breaches, intellectual property breaches, or data protection, or other breaches of law. But if you're a supplier, you'll want to give them, well, ideally never, but only for really risky parts, for example, third-party claims. What are the problems you come up against when drafting an indemnity? The main problems when drafting indemnity is that the law doesn't dictate the effect of indemnity, as we've said. So the contract needs to identify what the triggers are for the indemnity, the effect of that party's fault, any requirement for causation, what the paying party must pay, and whether the receiving party must mitigate its loss. The drafter needs to know exactly what to write and almost have a crystal ball to fortune tell what uh, the indemnity should cover. And the drafter may not know what to expect because often at the point the contract's entered into, the risk and likely losses may not be clear which is why some customers would want to put in as wide as possible indemnities on the argument that they don't know what the contract may cover. The drafter may not know what previous wording might be covered for contracts which are renewing, and lots of indemnities actually include quite obscure language, which is already in circulation, which may not help interpretation. So we recommend a good approach to drafting is to start by finding out what the parties might lose out if there's a breach of contract by either side. So if you're a customer, what happens if you don't pay or you breach any intellectual property provisions? And if you're a supplier, what happens if you don't perform? You should also think about how the losses would arise and who should pay for them. You can use precedents to suggest drafting ideas, but then you should really test that clause against the most likely events and worst case scenarios that might happen under the contract to see if it would protect you. But even then, it might not go far enough because unforeseeable things might happen. So we've discussed the position with business to business contracts. What about consumer contracts? So everything we've covered so far covers business to business, as you said. Consumer contracts are dealt with slightly differently. Any clause in a consumer contract might be unfair and therefore non-binding if it creates a significant imbalance in the party's rights to the consumer's detriment. In a consumer contract, the word indemnity should be avoided. This is because it can be often unclear as to what the meaning is to non-lawyers and a consumer term that is not clear risks strict interpretation and may be unforceable. So when we're drafting the indemnity for a consumer contract, we should identify the trigger and the payment duty using clear language without using the word indemnity to make sure everyone can understand it. Are you able to limit liability under an indemnity? Yes, you can. There's no rule that liability under indemnity is or should be capped or uncapped, even though some people would think differently to that. Any limit on liability is subject to the controls that we've already discussed. So whatever the contract says, um, other than certain points which must be limited by law. It's a common misconception that an indemnity gives such sweeping protection that even a clause limiting liability has no effect on it, but there's no general rule about this. It's legally possible to define or limit an indemnity by whatever drafting the parties negotiate, which is why we often see a party with more bargaining power having a better position on indemnity caps. An example of this is an insurance policy, an example of this is an insurance policy which normally specifies a cap 
and deductibles for each insured event, and we can use those points in our indemnities. The scope of any limit on liability depends on its wording and interpretation, as we've said. So, depending on this, an indemnity could be impacted by limits in the following areas. Liabilities arising under the contract, payments due under the contract, any claims, including third-party claims, or damages. Thank you, Caroline. That's everything from us on indemnities today. Thank you for listening. Thank you.